Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. If you got your Bibles with you, this is a good service to take notes. And this is going to be a good service to write a lot of scriptures down. I got a lot of scriptures and a lot of points. This is not going to be like uh, necessarily a Sunday morning service. We're going to kind of take a deeper dive on this Wednesday night. So first scripture, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. We're going to start here. Um, I'm going to read the scripture. I see the top of Amzie's head on the screen. So I'm going to be, we're going to be looking at Amzie's head a lot this evening. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Notice what it says. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Verse 15, and you have been taught the holy scriptures from your childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ. Key verse for tonight. All scripture, everybody say all scripture, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, and God uses it, what is he using? The scriptures, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So today we're going to have a real practical message and this is what these Wednesday night services are for. Like I said, one week we might preach about a specific subject, one week we might worship, one week we might just pray, one week we might just slap y'all in the head by the Holy Ghost. We're open to it. But tonight, you want to slap tonight? Okay, well, Dad, you're going to have to take care of that. I'm going to teach. He can slap. Um, Tonight, we're going to be talking about how to love and read your Bible. How to love and read your Bible. And based by the response so far, you need this message on how to love and read your Bible. And I want to talk about this. Tonight, because so many people have the question on, how do I read my Bible? I'm really confused about it. It's really boring for other people. I don't get it. I get all those concerns. So tonight, we're going to talk about how to love and read your Bible. Or we would say affectionately, we call the Bible God's Word. So I'm going to do a little Portland Bible College, a little pastoral care, and a little teaching all in one night. So how to love and read your Bible. First of all, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? So I'm going to read a few things to you about what is the Bible. The first thing I want to share is this, that the Bible is the divine library consisting of 66 separate books. It is the book of all books, priceless and incomparable. It is in two divisions. When you read your Bible, there's the Old Testament that has 39 books. There's a New Testament containing 27 books. Though a compilation of 66 books, it is a unified book. The Bible is the only authoritative written revelation of God that we have. So talking about what is the Bible, I'm going to read a few more things and then we'll preach. The Bible is this. It's the revelation of God coming through God, flowing through into man. They are the only inspired, infallible, divine revelation ever given to man and are the supreme authority in all matters of faith and morals. The scriptures are the Holy Spirit breathed upon human vessels in their very thoughts and words he wanted written. The word flowed through human channels involving their emotions, personalities, frames of reference without violating such. Yet the Holy Spirit guarded and preserved each thought, phrase, and word from error, omission, or inaccuracy. I'm not repeating that. You can listen to the podcast. So the Bible we see is 66 books. It's not just one book. It's compiled into one book. It's 66 books, the Old Testament, or we could say Old Covenant, and the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, the word Bible, all it means is book. It's from the word Biblos. It means book. So holy book. So it's 66 books, and they're all unified, talking about God and his people. So what is the Bible? 
the Bible referred to in the Bible, it refers to itself time and time again, thousands of times, it refers to itself as the word of God. So that's why when we get up here and we say, let's get into the word or let's get into the word of God, it comes from in the Bible, it refers to itself as not just a human book, but a divine book. And it is the word of God. Now, let's turn back to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. Listen what this says. Paul speaking to Timothy, a young son in the faith, says, All scripture, the whole Bible, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17. And God uses that, the Bible, God's word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's jump back to verse 16. It says all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means God breathed. When we see that word inspired, that means the translation from the Greek means the Bible is God breathed. Because God himself breathed on the authors of the Bible to write what they wrote so we could receive it today. Now, how many know the word for spirit in the Bible is the word breath? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who moved on men of God to write the Bible. But he used their own personalities. He used their own emotions. He used their own frame of reference. But the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, moved on men of God to write the Bible. That's why the Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed, God-spoken. So let's turn to another verse talking about the Bible being God-breathed and God, the Holy Spirit, breathing through men of God. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. But understand this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, it's talking about Scripture, is a matter of or comes from one's own personal or special interpretation. Verse 21, listen to this, talking about Scripture, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what the Bible is. It is God and man working together to write the Bible. Now, because many people say, well, men wrote the Bible. Yes, they did. And they're saying that kind of as a slam, like we shouldn't trust it. God wrote it and man wrote it. It's not either or, it's both and. God used people to write the scriptures, but it was the Holy Spirit who inspired them or breathed on them to write what they wrote. Now, that's what you should believe about the Bible, but I'm just telling you as your pastor, that's what the Bible says about itself. It is God-breathed. Now, you can say amen anytime you want. I realize I'm teaching. But the Bible was written by 40 different men in three languages across multiple continents, and it took thousands of years to come together. So the Bible is not just a, a group of a few men over a couple years. We're talking thousands of years 40 different men, three different languages, multiple continents, and it all shares the same story. It's unified. That's one of the reasons you know it's divine. How could, how could Isaiah say something 700 years and prophesy it, and then Jesus fulfill it perfectly 700 years later? Because it's all unified. It's all God-breathed. And so when we read the Bible, we realize it is a work of God and man. But it is a unified story. Now, tonight I'm going to give you some keys or some filters that you can use when you're reading the Bible to help you interpret the scriptures. So one of the first filters I want to give you is this. Because we talked about the Bible is a unified story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a unified story. But it's, what is it unified about? What, what's it uni what is the major theme and the unity of the scriptures? Well, the Bible is the unified story that leads us to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation. So when you're reading your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's a unified story leading us and pointing us to Jesus or pointing us to our need for a Savior. So when you're reading the Bible, even in the hard parts of the Bible that don't make sense to you, there's a purpose and a reason for it. Like when you're in Leviticus, it's not just about the blood and the sacrifices. It's not about the goats and, and the turtle doves. It's not about what the priests wore. It's pointing to Jesus. 
And if you read it in light of Jesus, you can shout in Leviticus because you realize it's pointing to a greater truth and it's unified talking about Jesus. The story of Abraham. Now I'm going to preach. I didn't mean to. I, I should go back to teaching. You guys were so encouraging when I was teaching. You were like, I did not sign up for this class, pastor, but I'm teaching it anyways. But when you read your Bible, it's a unified story that leads to Jesus, all of it. So when you read Abraham's story, yes, there's principles in Abraham's life that you need to get because he was a man of faith. But Abraham's not really about Abraham. Abraham's about Jesus. When you read the story of Moses, there's principles you can get from Moses. But Moses is not about Moses. It's about Jesus. When you read about David in the Bible, it's not about David. David is pointing to a greater king. And it's pointing to Jesus. When you read about Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, it's not about Solomon. It's about Jesus. When you read about Esther, it's not about Esther. It's about Jesus. So when you're reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, here's a filter. When you're lost in Chronicles, when you're lost in Ecclesiastes, don't, by the way, here's another filter. Don't read Ecclesiastes when you're already depressed. Not the book to read. Anyways, but here's the filter. When you're reading your Bible, especially in the hard parts, realize what in this story is pointing to Jesus. Because this is a type and shadow of the Savior to come. The Bible is a unified story leading to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. So still talking about that point. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. There's a lot of strange stuff in the Bible. Listen, we don't teach the kids what the Bible really says. You realize that in the back? Because if you really read the Bible, it's not PG. It is R-rated. Song of Solomon is R-rated. The battles in the Bible are R-rated. If it was a movie, it would be R-rated. Like, but you realize all the, the, the messed up stuff in the Old Testament you read, all the, you know, there's, there's sexual stuff in there that happened. There's, there's murders that happened. There's violence that happened. There's craziness that happened. How can you get anything out of that, Pastor? I'll tell you why. It's a unified story leading to Jesus. What is the point in those stories? It's telling you, we're messed up. This is humans apart from God. We are jacked up. So the weird stuff in the Bible even makes sense in light of Jesus is saying, you need a savior because weird stuff happens like this left to ourself. So even the weird stuff in the Bible can encourage you. You're like, why did that happen? It's no different than what's on the news today. Same stuff. And what is it pointing to? Your need for a savior. Your need for a redeemer, your need for a healer, your need for a deliverer. So it's a unified story that points to Jesus. Now, it's wonderful that I just told you that, but Jesus himself said that, that the scriptures point to him. I want to give you a few verses. Jesus talking to some of the most religious people that day who knew the Bible. What did he say? John 5 and verse 39. You search the scriptures... He's talking to religious people who know books of the Bible, memorized, hard ones, like not Jude. We're talking they know Deuteronomy and Leviticus and can remember it. This is what Jesus said to the religious people of that day. Why? Because it's pointing to Jesus. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Next verse. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Jesus himself said that. Here's another verse, just in case you thought I was making it up. Luke 24 and verse 44, Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, if, if you read your Bible, let's jump back once. Verse, yes. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, to Jewish people, that's the only three categories there are in the Old Testament. They group them like that. There's the first five books, which are the law of Moses, and the rest of it is either a prophet or their Psalms, or considered in the Psalms genre of writing. What a beautiful word, genre. I'm going to use that again later. 
all things must be fulfilled. Jesus speaking, once again, to religious people who act like they know the word and what the point of the word was. He says, all these things written in the law of Moses, all that stuff in there, all the prophets and all the Psalms were concerning me, Jesus. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So meaning if you don't read your Bible like this, you won't comprehend the scriptures for what they truly are. Because they're about Jesus. Are you getting something so far? This is free. This is a free Portland Bible College class. I won't make you pay for it. So we talked about what is a Bible. But I want to talk for a second about how the Bible helps us. How the Bible helps us. Here's the first thing. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is alive. Let's look at Hebrews 4 and verse 12 in the Amplified. For the Word of God, or the Bible, is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as a division of the soul and the spirit. The completeness of a person in both of joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's turn back to the, the previous verse. But notice what the first part says. For the word of God is living and active and full of power. So I, I have a few things I want to share to you with you about how the Bible helps us. Now, this is a tiny list because we only got so much time on a Wednesday night. But the first thing is the Word of God is alive. And because the Word of God is alive, it has the power to quicken you. Quicken your spirit, your soul, and your body and make it come alive. Because there's power in the Word of God and it's alive. Now, why is it alive? Because it's God-breathed. You can read any novel you want. You can read... Uh, the best-selling leadership books, but they're not alive. The Bible is the only thing that is alive and full of power and able to change you. Because it is not an old, dead book. It is a book that is inspired and God-breathed by the Spirit of God. And here's the thing. Since the author is still alive and he lives on the inside of you, it comes alive when you read it. But you got to read it. So the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the word of God that he wrote through men. And it's alive and quickens you and makes you alive as well. The number one way that God will speak to you is through his word. And how does he do it? Because it's alive. It's not dead. Because the author is living in us as believers. And he speaks to us through his word when we read it. But the word of God is alive and full of power. Power to change our life. I love the A.W. Tozer said this. The Bible is not a book once spoken, but is a book now speaking. The Bible is not a book once spoken that, that, that God spoke a long time ago and we don't get it now today. Or this is, this is just for people that lived a long time ago. But the Bible is alive because the Holy Spirit is alive and breathing through this book. And it's a book not once spoken, but it's a book now speaking. How can this Bible read your mail today in 2022? How can it talk to you about your life today? Because it's alive and it's full of power. And the same words that have helped people for thousands and thousands of years still help us because the book is not an old, crusty, dead book. It's alive and full of power because the Holy Spirit speaks through it. The Holy Spirit speaks through it and he lives in you. So guess what? He gets excited when you read the stuff that he wrote through men. And that's the number one way I believe God will speak to all of us is through the word. But the word of God is alive. That's how it helps you. Number two, the word of God is food. It is food for your spirit. Now we have a spirit, or we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. And uh, if you're going to be physically healthy, you got to eat food. You got to. If you're going to have a healthy soul, you're going to have to do something about this brain up here, this mind. You're going to have to feed it the right stuff, right? Same way with your spirit, man. And your spirit's the most important part of you, and that's the part connected to God. But how do you feed your spirit? You have to feed it God's word. Yeah. 
You have to feed it God's word. The word of God is food for your spirit. Now, we see in the Bible that it's always used with language like this. The word of God is bread, it's meat, it's milk, it's honey, and all sorts of things listed like that. Why? Because it brings nourishment, strength, and helps grow your spirit and make you healthy as a follower of God. Let's look at some verses, Matthew 4 and 4. I need all of you to take notes. I don't see everybody taking notes. You need this tonight. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is Jesus that said this. He said, people don't just live by bread alone, but by every word. What's the word? The Bible that comes from the mouth of God. Just like food or bread is to your body, the word is to your spirit. You're not going to be a strong believer unless you're in your Bible every day. Do you got to eat physical food every day? Y'all eat three times, five times, maybe 10 times. But there's a lot of malnourished believers. And why are they malnourished? Because they never get into God's word. They, they eat DoorDash all day long. And you paying a lot of money for that too. But there's a lot of believers. We're malnourished. We're weak. We're feeble. We're not growing. And we got the food right in front of us and we never eat it. You will not be a strong, healthy, vibrant believer without being in God's word every day. If you got to eat physically every day, you got to eat spiritually every day if you want to be strong. So Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, physical food, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I've heard people so serious about reading their Bible, they say, I'm not going to eat physical food until I eat spiritual food. If you need to go there, go there. If you're having trouble reading the Bible, put yourself to that challenge. I'm not eating any food till I eat spiritually. Because it should be more important than our physical food. Here's another verse about the word of God is food. Psalm 119, 103. This is David. How sweet are your words to my taste. Your words, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word, the word is food. And it's sweet to the taste. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah says, your words, the Bible, were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Notice Jeremiah, the prophet, he said, your words, these words were found. And what did I do? I didn't just look at them. I ate them. I devoured them. I got into it. And notice what happens when you do that. And your word is going to bring joy and rejoicing to your heart. I know people that are in the word because they're full of joy. They're full of rejoicing. They're full of life. Why? Because they've been eating spiritually. I know the people who's been eating throughout the week and who hasn't when I come in on Sunday mornings. I know. You don't got to tell me. I know. Why? Because there's people that are ready to go. They're joyful. They're rejoicing because they're already coming full. They're not coming hungry. They've already eaten. They're just saying, Pastor, give me some more. I've already eaten. And that's the way we all should be in here. Let the new people come in hungry, but you guys should have already eaten. You say, hey, pastor, I'll eat what you have, but I'm already ready to go. I'm already full. So just come on and bring what you have. That will change the atmosphere of this church. So Jeremiah said, your words were found. You got to find them right here. And I ate them, and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Still follow me tonight. The next thing, I'll take that amen in the back. Thank you. The word of God is light. We're talking about how the Bible helps us tonight. The word of God is light. Now, why do you need light? You need light because you need to see where you're going. You need light because you need direction. You need light because you need guidance. So many people are like, God, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Get in your Bible, and God will give you direction. God will give you light. I can't count how many times I've heard people say, God doesn't speak to me. God doesn't speak to me. I can't hear God's voice. You want to know how to hear it? Open up this book. Read it out loud. Voila! 
You just heard God speak to you audibly in your own ears. If you want to hear God speak every day, open the Bible, read it, and read it out loud if you want to, because that is God speaking to you. You want direction and guidance? Get into the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105 in the New Living, what does it say? Your Word is a lamp. Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light from my path. Why do you need a light again? Why do you need a lamp? You need guidance. You need direction. You need to see where to go. And how many know we all need guidance and direction and we need to see where to go in our life situations we need to know what to do and and what move to make and where to go next how do you get guidance how do you get direction it comes from the word your word is a lamp to guide my feet your word and a light for my path the word of god is light you getting something so far all right. I feel like you're with me. Let's, uh, let's shift gears again. So I want to talk to you for a, a second about how do you read and study your Bible? At the end, we're going to get into more practical things, and I have a handout for you. But before we go there, how do I read and study the Bible? Now, once again, I've heard this my whole life. I don't get the Bible. Um, I don't get how this pertains to me. Um, the Bible is boring. Now, old me, youth pastor me, not 35-year-old senior pastor. You know what I would have said back in the day? Oh, the Bible's boring? You boring. You are boring. The Bible bores you because you're boring. But, but I'm not there anymore in my life. Because that's easy, that's an easy remark, but I get it though. If you don't understand it, it is boring. Are you with me? Come on. Everybody's like, I never said that. We've all felt that way before. The Bible is boring if you don't understand what you're reading. Just like any book. The Bible is boring. Math books are boring, right, because you don't understand what they're saying. Doesn't make any sense to you. So a lot of people treat the Bible that way. They're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't see how it pertains to me, just like Algebra 2. I don't get it, and it's boring to me. I understand that. So what, what's the alternative? Well, most people just say, all right, well, I'm going to stick in uh, Psalms, and I'm going to stick in a few New Testament places, and I'm going to just uh, read a devotional with refrigerator scriptures, like precious moment Bible scriptures. Anybody precious moments in here? Bible, a VeggieTale Bible, something like that. I'm just going to stick with these scriptures, but you're missing like 97% of what the word really says. Like that. So as your pastor, I understand that. I understand that thinking like, I don't get the Bible. How does it pertain to me? It's boring. And it is. If you don't know how to read it, and you don't know how to study it. Here's another thing. The Bible is a book that you're going to be learning about the rest of your life. So if you're going to be frustrated, you don't have it figured out by next week, you're going to be very frustrated the rest of your life. The Bible is a book that needs to be read and reread and remeditated on and restudied because there's new stuff in it all the time. And that's going to happen the rest of your life. So just get used to it and enjoy it. I think I enjoy that better than a book that I'm like, okay, I got it. There's nothing else in there. I'd kind of be disappointed in God if that was the way it was with the Bible. Like, I got, I got that. The Bible's not like that, though. There's so much in it. You're going to be reading and meditating and studying it the rest of your life, and you're always going to be growing, and you're always going to be getting stuff out of it because there's so much in it. So if you don't have your Bible mastered by next month, don't be frustrated about it. You're going to constantly be learning. And guess what? When we get to heaven, God's going to point out all sorts of stuff that we missed when we were here on earth about his word. But here's some things we have to do if we're going to understand and study the Bible. The first thing I would say before you get your Bible out, before you read, before you study, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible. 
First thing, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible. Once again, the Holy Spirit inspired the men who wrote the Bible. He's the one who knows what it means. Just common sense here. I'm throwing this out. If he's the one who wrote it, he would be the one who knows what it means, right? The author is the one who knows what they meant by it. Like, if C.S. Lewis was still alive today, we could ask him what he meant in all his books he wrote. Because some of those books, it's like, what did you mean by that? And we could try to interpret it the best we can, but C.S. Lewis, since he authored it, he's the only one who knows what it really means. The Holy Spirit is the one who authored it through men. He would be the one to talk to before you read and study your Bible. Now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you before you read the Bible. Smith Wigglesworth said this. Some read the Bible in Hebrew. Some read it in Greek. But I read it in the Holy Ghost. Some read it in Greek. Some read it in Hebrew. But I read it in the Holy Ghost. Now, you realize Smith Wigglesworth was not a super educated man. But he knew the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost showed him things in the Word of God. So... If we're going to read and study our Bible, we got to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. That's step one. Are you with me on step one? Okay. But let's talk about studying the Bible for a moment. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. In the Amplified Classic. Look at what it says. This is in Timothy. So it's Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith again. Study. That's the first word. Study. And be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Notice why you need to study. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So look at this verse again. Paul tells Timothy, a son in the faith, who is a pastor, but this pertains to all of us in here, talking about the word of God, the Bible, that he needs to study to show himself approved to God. Why? So he can accurately analyze and divide and rightly handle and skillfully teach the word of truth. So meaning if you don't study, you're probably not going to rightly divide the word on what it really means. If you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it, right? And people that don't study their Bible and just wing it usually come to the wrong conclusions. That's how cults get started. Are you with me? I mean, hundreds of cults have been started because some bozo grabbed his Bible and did not know how to study it. And were like, oh, this looks good. Let's do this. Let's go out in the woods. If you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it. But that only happens when you study the Word of God. So if you're going to read the Bible at surface level, hear me. If you're going to read the Bible at surface level, you're probably not going to always accurately divide the Word of God. And you're also not going to get everything that's in the Word of God if we read the Bible in a very flat way. Now hear me. The Holy Spirit who authored the Bible through men of God, he will help you understand it. But if he's the one who said, study, he inspired Paul to say that, that means he's going to use your study to help you understand what the word says. Because some many, many people, I would say, believers today, some people are on this side like, I just need the Holy Ghost. I don't need any study books. You've got to get off you got to be weird. And actually, somebody that really knows the Bible is going to come to your church and be like, this pastor's an idiot. <laughs> really? So, it's not completely over here. We do need the Holy Ghost, and we need him first. But it's not just the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to wing it and make up my own explanation of what the Bible means and says. And then we got people over here that are study, 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 study. And they got no anointing on what they say. And they got charts about where Paul went, but they can't apply it to their life. So who cares? It's not this or it's not that. It's both. It's the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost uses your study 
and reading of God's word. You're meditating in God's word. Because he's the one who inspired Paul to say, study, Timothy, to show yourself approved. Meaning, when people come to your church, you don't sound like a dummy. Because you know what you're talking about. And when you preach, you're going to rightly divide it. How do you know you rightly divide it? It brings people into more life, to more health, to more freedom, to more joy, to more peace. When you rightly divide it. When you wrongly divide it, you bring yourself into more bondage. Study to show yourself approved. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? I didn't realize I was going to preach this good on a Wednesday night. But, you know, I just, I'm feeling it right now. So, study to show yourself approved. Because the Holy Spirit will use your study. He's the one who said to study, so he will use it. So, when we listen to the Holy Spirit, why we study? You will get what you should have got out of the verse. And you will come to the right conclusion, not the wrong one, because you will rightly divide the word of God. When we read the Bible, once again, don't read the Bible just in a very flat surface level reading. Because there's way more in the Bible than you realize. Now, I've learned this my whole life, but especially when I took some classes at Portland Bible College many years ago. That was pre-Natalie. So that was over a decade ago. There's way more in the Bible than you ever realize. And there's layers to this thing. Why? Because it's a divine book. And many people try to dumb the Bible down to like, that's just what it says. Well, it is, but there's layers to this thing. And if you don't study and if you don't listen to anybody who knows what they're talking about, you're going to miss, once again, 97% of what's in here because you don't study. Back to my comment about there's more in the Bible than you realize. There's layers to this thing. You could live the rest of your life skimming through the Bible reading surface level, once again, reading refrigerator scriptures every day, like, for I know the plans I have for you. I'm like, do you know any other scriptures other than that? That's a good one. But do you know any other scriptures other than that? Or, or Jesus wept. Okay, come on now. We got to do better than this. There's a lot of other scriptures in there. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great verses. But if that's all you know, you're missing a lot that's in there. And most believers stay there. Why? Once again, because they don't know how to study. They get bored with the Bible, so they're like, I'm just going to stick with the scriptures that are obvious. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Great verse. But if that's all you know, you're missing so much in the Bible. There's layers to this thing. So when we read the Bible at a surface level, you're only going to get so much on the ground. You'll still get something. Because the word of God is alive and full of power. And God responds to your effort, whether you know anything or not. So if you just read it, you'll get something. But do you know, just like people who dig for gems and diamonds and gold and precious things like that, you can get a little bit on the top. But if you want the big gems, if you want the good stuff, you're going to have to dig. Because there's layers to this thing. There's layers to this word. There's layers to what God is saying. And when you dig, you dig by studying the word of God, by praying, by studying, by reading, by meditating, and you dig. So if you want to get to the good stuff, how many want to get to the good stuff? Well, what is it going to take? It's going to take you digging in the word of God. What is that? Studying. That's where the gold is. That's where the diamonds are. You want the big diamonds. You want the good gemstones. You can find a few on top. But if you want the good stuff, you're going to have to study because there's layers to this thing. Okay, on that point, still talking about layers. There's so much in the Bible. Don't ever dumb the Bible down to it just like, oh, it's just that. That's a scripture. There's nothing to it. Dude, you don't know anything. You don't. I started learning that when I went to Portland Bible College. There's people that really do this like for their career and for their whole life. On like a chapter in the Bible. There's professors who have PhDs just to study like one chapter of the Bible. They spend 50 years to write a commentary. Because there's that many layers to the scriptures. And we're over here reading like half a scripture acting like that's all there is to it. 
No, dude. There's layers to this thing. Let me give you an example. I mean, the deeper I've gotten into this, and I listen to all sorts of heady podcasts. Just let me do that. That's fun for me. Okay, I listen to a lot of, I call it Bible brain candy podcast because I think it's interesting. Stuff I would never preach ever. I mean, it would be good if I had a conversation with Paul Jansen, but other than that, he would be the only, only person that would understand what I'm saying. Um, but I like to listen to stuff like that. But I, the more I've looked into that, there's so many people, once again, that spend their lifetime. We're thinking, oh, oh, there's nothing much to it. They spend their lifetime to write a commentary on the book of Jude. They spend their lifetime to write a commentary on the book of Chronicles. And I'm not talking about people that are educated just down the road. I'm talking about people that have multiple PhDs from Harvard, Duke, and other places spend their lifetime to write commentaries and stuff about just a portion of the scriptures. Why? Because there's that many layers to it. That it's taken people decades to pull out all those things. What have they been doing? They've been digging getting out the gold, getting out the gems, getting out all that stuff. And then they'll write a commentary on just like 1 Timothy. And they spent 50 years working on it. And, and this is not an isolated thing. I listen to podcasts so many times a week with a new person I find all over the world at a different university or a different college. They spend their lifetime studying just one portion of scripture just to write about it for other people. Why? Because there's layers to this thing. We're thinking we arrived just because we bought a study Bible the other week. No, there's layers to this thing. I'm going to throw out a few people's names, but there's this one guy, and I actually bought a few of his books for dad. His name's Dr. Craig Keener. Dr. Craig Keener. He has a PhD from Duke. He's, you know, uh, a theologian, a scholar. But one of the things he's spent his life studying is miracles. Miracles in the Bible, but present-day miracles. And this man is super educated. Once again, PhD for Duke, uh, you know, speaks at Brown University, Cambridge, all these places. He spent his lifetime, I mean, he's still alive. He's still got many more years to go, but he's probably in his 60s or 70s. He spent 50 years or whatever studying this subject. He's written volumes on all the miracles of the Bible, all the miracles in the first hundred years of the early church, and he wrote volumes about present-day miracles. He wrote a commentary on the book of Acts. There's four volumes, and they're all about this thick. And you're thinking you got everything there is to know about the book of Acts. Well, pastor, I know there's tongues in that book. Well, there's a lot more than tongues in that book. This man wrote four volumes that are this thick, Dr. Craig Keener, on that. Dr. Craig Keener, he studied miracles. And on a podcast, I heard him say, he has a hundred thousand note cards of miracles that he researched from the book of Acts onto the early church to present day, 100,000 of them. Sitting, and behind him, you'll see on podcasts, there's just lines and lines and lines of cabinets. hundred. He spent his lifetime doing this. 100,000 note cards with footnotes of research and people he listened to, all just about miracles and healings from the Bible time to now. And you're thinking, there, you know all there is to know about miracles and healings. We're thinking we got it figured out about the book of Acts. No, there's men like that that are just researching this. Highly educated, PhDs. And this man talks about miracles and healings at places like Harvard and Yale. Because he's got the footnotes on it. He's got the research from thousands of years of church history. That's just one guy, Dr. Craig Keener. And, and I, I bought dad a couple of his books, and you like his books. They're yeah, very, very easy to understand, but he has footnotes on all those things, 100,000 of them. The reason I'm telling you that is there's way more than you know. Way, way more than you know. The Bible has so much in it. There's so many layers that you don't even realize. Then you hear somebody like that, and you're like, I don't know anything. 
There's so much more. And why am I telling you that? It should make you hungry. It should make you desirous. It should make you excited that there's so much more out there. There's people that I've heard on, on different podcasts or things I've read that they just study one thing in the Bible, just one subject, and that's what they, they, they write their doctorate on, and they spend 20 years or 30 years studying one little subject in the Bible just to write a book about it so people like us can understand it. There's somebody I listened to the other day. You're going to think this is funny, but she has a PhD. She's from this Christian university in, I think it was Sydney, Australia. She was Australian. And um, she, she has a PhD, and she wrote her doctorate on singleness and celibacy. She spent decades of her life, because she's a Bible scholar, studying that. And you're thinking, there's that much in there about that? Yeah, I guess there is. Now, now here's the funny part. And some of you people that are single right now, you hate me right now, because you're like, I don't want you to encourage me about singleness and celibacy. <laughs> But here's the funny part. I listened to the podcast, and she was so interesting because she did all this research for decades, and she's got a, I forgot what university it is in Sydney. She wrote this book and this commentary about singleness and celibacy in the Bible and the, the benefits of it because the Apostle Paul was single and Jesus was single. And so I was telling Morgan about this, and I was like, you know what? She had some good points. I never thought I would say that, but this... She knew her stuff. I mean, singleness and celibacy. I was like, never thought about it, but she, she, she made me think about it. I mean, it was good. But this lady spent decades of her life just to study that in the Bible. There's layers to this thing. Layers to this thing. So, I want you to think bigger about the Bible. Think bigger about the scriptures. Think bigger about the subjects in the Bible because there's people all over the world tonight with multiple degrees spending their life to study just one portion of scripture because there's so many layers of meaning and importance and revelation in the scriptures. Are you still with me? So here's some things to understand as we read and study the Bible. Here's another filter. The Bible is progressive revelation. The Bible is progressive revelation. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Genesis to Revelation, in the Old Testament, they didn't know as much about God as they do in the New the Old Testament is God's will concealed, but the New Testament is God's will revealed. So when you read the Old Testament, you have to understand, read it through the filter that the Bible's progressive revelation. They didn't know as much about God in the Old Testament. But how many know when Jesus came, he was the fullness of God? We see the perfect revelation of who God really is. And we see that in the New Testament. So when you're reading your Bible, realize from Genesis to Revelation, it's progressive. They know more and more and more and more and more about God till they get to Jesus. And then we see God for who he really is. So the Bible's progressive revelation. Now that will help you understand passages in the Old Testament where it acts like God did this and God did that. Well, God really wasn't doing it, but they didn't know that at the time. Later on, they got revelation on who the devil or the enemy really was. And they, in the Old Testament, a lot of times they thought that God just did everything, but he didn't. But the Bible is progressive revelation. Here's another filter. The Bible is truth, but not everything in the Bible is true for you to do. <laughs> Once again, if you don't want to start a cult, <laughs> you need to listen to this point. The Bible is truth. It contains God's truth, but not everything in the Bible is true for you to do. I'll give you some examples of this, especially in the Old Testament. There's many times it's quoting other godless kings. It's quoting situations that happened. The Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is telling a story. It's not trying to teach you something. It's just telling a story. So, so in one section, there could be a godless king saying, you know, God's dead. Forget him. Let's kill you all. That's not true for you to do in your personal devotional life, right? Now, the Bible's truth, but that's not true for you to do. Are you following me? There's things in the book of Job where Job had to repent later on in the book because he said, there's things I told you that weren't true. 
Now, but how do you figure that out? You got to study to show yourself approved. So you rightly divide the word of God. That's how people get into weird doctrines and weird teaching and weird things is because they read something like that and don't filter it through. Yes, the Bible is truth, but not everything in the Bible is true for you to do. What's the context of it? Why are they saying this? Who's saying this? Especially in the Old Testament. Here's another example. Abraham, the father of our faith. Abraham, the father of our faith, was told that he was going to have a promised son. And that was going to be Isaac. It was not happening. So Abraham, big man of faith, took his servant, Hagar, slept with her, had a child named Ishmael. And then that decision, he had consequences the rest of his life. There's other kings in the Bible, like David, like Solomon, that had hundreds of wives. This is how people in Utah have polygamy. <laughs> Why? Because they don't realize the Bible is truth, but not everything in the Bible is true for you to do. This is not saying this is okay. The Bible is just telling you a story in the Old Testament. And if you read it close enough, you realize every time Abraham, David, and Solomon did that, the girl messed them up. And there was consequences to this. It was not approving of polygamy. It was telling you the story. And it tells you the good and the bad of the story in the Old Testament. Are you following me? Because tonight, once again, there's people in Utah that read verses like that in the Old Testament. And that's why they have sister wives. Also show on TLC. But why did they live that way? They legitimately believe, well, the fathers of the faith and the Bible lived that way. They had multiple wives. Then I can too. Why? Because they wrongly divided the word of God. The Bible tells you Abraham did that. And then it says, these are the consequences he had too. This is what happened to David and Solomon too. And it was never good. Yeah, he slept with Bathsheba, but it didn't turn out good. Solomon had a lot of wives too. And it said they took them from God. The Bible is truth, but not everything in the Bible is true for you to do. That's why you got to study to show yourself approved. I'm landing the plane, but this is too good tonight. So Abraham, just like Abraham. Now, what do we get out of the story of Abraham? Yes, it's about Jesus, and there's faith principles in the story of Abraham. But we're to follow Abraham's faith, not his sex life. Say what I want on Wednesday. Why? Because the Bible's truth, but not everything he did was true for you to do. That's why you got to study to show yourself approved. Or some of you who are more violent in here, like Noah Stumler, people like that. <laughs> you know, they read passages in the Bible where some king like sliced somebody open and his guts fell out. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to do with your life. He's just telling a story. Like, there's a king who slaughtered these guys and chopped off their heads. It's like, yeah, it's just telling a story. That's not something that God's saying. How do I apply this to my life? <laughs> you're not meant to apply that to your life. You're, you're supposed to say, yeah, that's what happens when people don't have God in their life. They live that way. That's consequences of sin. Why? Because the Bible's truth, but not everything in it is true or true for you to do. Okay. It's a good filter. So we're going to lay in the plane here, but I got a few more things I want to share. Did, uh, did any of you guys get this handout? Could I get some mushers? There's these on these back tables. Could we get everybody in here to get one of these so I can explain it real quick? And we're going to close. This is a handout I made for you to kind of help you with some studying of the Bible. Thank you, gentlemen. Did you guys get anything tonight? Okay. I'm just letting her fly tonight. I'm having fun with it, though. All right, we're getting them handed out here. 
Okay. I think we got most of the people in here. Oh, there's people in the back. They really need that, especially that sound man right there. He needs, he needs the word in his life. So how to read and study your Bible. Now, I'm not going to go over everything in here, but I want to say a few things about it. We're still talking about how to read and study your Bible. So here's four things to look at once you are reading and studying your Bible that will help you understand the verse or the verses you're reading. Four things. Context. Context is king in the Bible. What does context mean? Who is he talking to? What is the situation going on behind the scenes? What is the point of this verse? Context. That's how you find out the meaning of a verse. The context. Now, once again, I'm I'm not going to go into everything, but on the back of the paper, it tells you some books on how to find the context. A good thing would be to get a good study Bible, because a good study Bible will tell you the context of the verse. It'll tell you why they're writing it and who they're writing it to and what's the point of the book of the Bible you're reading. Are you with me? But context is important. Let's just say like this, Jeremiah. If I'm reading Jeremiah, what do I know about Jeremiah? He's a prophet. So it's going to be coming through hot. He's probably going to be a little ticked and a little emotional. So going into Jeremiah, I'm aware of that. He's coming in hot, probably emotional. He was called the weeping prophet. And usually the context of some of these prophets are God's people are in exile. So usually there's a lot of judgment going on. So that's the context. Now, if I'm reading Paul talking to Romans, what's the context there? He's talking to a church at Rome as a spiritual father. That's a different context than Jeremiah talking to God's people as a prophet in exile. Two different contexts. So you got to read them two different ways. Context. Here's another thing. Language. The Bible was written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, which are different than English. If you don't, you didn't know that? It's Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. The thing about Greek and Hebrew, especially, is Greek and Hebrew are way more advanced than English. And I would dare say way more advanced than Southern Indiana English. So, when you're studying your Bible, it's important to look up words. If you got a question about it, find a place where you can look up what it means in the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic because a lot of times that will bring more revelation and understanding to what the verse means. Has anybody ever done that before? You look something up and you're like, oh my gosh, this just says that in English, but in the Greek it brings out this and this and this. Why? Because the Greek and Hebrew languages are way more advanced and expressive and they have more tense than the English language do. So that's why it's important to look at the language when you're trying to understand a verse. Literary style. What does that mean? Once again, the context. If I'm reading Psalms, what am I reading? I'm reading poetry. I'm reading worship. If I'm reading Proverbs, I'm not reading poetry. I'm reading wisdom, wisdom literature. If I'm reading Philippians, I'm reading a letter written to a church, which is different than the Psalms and the Proverbs. But you got to know what literary style they're writing in that helps you understand the verses. Am I boring you? Are you guys getting this? Okay. I'm making great time. It's 829. I'm right there. Lastly, culture. We live in 2022 in New Albany, Indiana, in the United States of America, and they lived in the Middle East thousands of years ago, completely different cultural setting, about as far as can be. They lived in an Eastern culture. We live in a Western culture. They spoke this language. We speak this language. Their customs and ways they did things were completely different than modern Americans. So a lot of times when you're reading the Bible, you're like, why did they do this? Or why did they say this? That's why you have to study because if you know the culture, it will make the scriptures come alive in a new way and you'll understand what they meant. For example, you want me to give you an example about women? Yeah. <laughs> Miss Donna, what do you say? 
You don't know? Okay. I'm just saying, to give you a heads up, it's close to the scripture that says women should keep silent in the church. It's close. I'm not going to go to that verse, but it's close to it. Okay. Culture. Here's a verse. Uh, I even wrote it down. What was it? First Timothy. Because I was just doing this in my personal devotional life. I was studying the verse of women should keep silent in the church. I'm like, God, what are you meaning by this right now? I'm joking, guys. Why are you so serious? We believe in, in women preachers around here. Pastor Nancy's coming. Pastor Debbie's coming. God, chill out, guys. Culture. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Okay. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. I, I don't have that verse up there, but I'll just tell you what it says. When you know the culture, you'll understand what they meant by it. Hold on. Is there actually a way I could get that verse up here? Uh, surprise me. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Okay. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. Ms. Donna, we're good so far. <laughs> They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothing, okay? For women, here, this is the real part that you need to listen to. <laughs> I'm really trying to get to this. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Can I get amen, Paul Eddard? Amen, Okay. Culture. I'm just talking, how do you study your Bible? So, once again, if you know anything about the body of Christ, there are certain denominations that read this verse out of context, and they don't understand the culture that it was written to, and they don't wear any makeup. They never cut their hair. They got their hair grown out. They got a bun on the top of their head. They wear skirts. That's the way they live. Why? Because they take a verse like that. They don't rightly divide it. They don't understand the culture and the context of it. And then they start living that way. But if you knew the culture of that verse, you'd understand why Timothy is being written this by Paul. Here's the simplest version. It could go longer than this. But most scholars and theologians believe that in Timothy's church in Ephesus, in other places he were, was that there was a lot of women that would dress a certain way because they would work at the temple as prostitutes. And they would have all sorts of jewelry and fancy clothing and makeup on. So when they came to church, everybody would know that's what they do. And that's why Paul was telling Timothy that when you come together at church, the women in your church should not dress like the hookers that are coming to church. Because men in that church are going to think that they're just like that, and they're not. The point of the scripture is not, you can't wear jewelry, you can't wear nice clothes. The culture was that people that dressed like that were usually sexually trying to go after somebody. And that's why Paul told Timothy that. But then he goes on and says, it's not about that anyways. It's about the inside of the person that matters, not the outside. Because how many know you can dress up and wear nice clothes and nice jewelry and look fancy, but you're not beautiful if that's all there is to you. You're beautiful by what you have on the inside, your good works, the way you treat people, the way you talk to people, the way you live your life. That's the cultural context of that verse. If you didn't know the culture, like some denominations don't, they say, okay, all the women in our church, you can't wear makeup, you can't wear jewelry, you can't wear fancy clothes because you don't want a guy to stumble. That's not the point of the verse because you don't know the culture. That's why it's so important you know the culture context on why Paul said that to Timothy about that church. Once again, because in that day, there was a lot of God, other gods in idol temples that a lot of the women dressed like that and they worked there and then they would come into church and all the guys would be like, excuse me. And the guys would make wrong decisions 
And so he says, hey, if you're going to come to church, you don't need to be dressing like these other ladies that are trying to come in and steal the men to have sexual relationships with them because they're being inspired by these other gods and these other idols. So you need to dress modestly and have the right spirit about you. Got to know the culture. Got to know the context. Are you with me? So my encouragement to you is look over this paper. I wrote down some translations I like. On the back, there's different free apps and websites you can go to that have Bible study resources if you don't want to buy stuff. Of course, there's a Bible software program I have called Logos, which is probably the nicest one. It does cost some money, but there's a lot of free stuff. Most of you guys have your phone or your iPad or your computers. A lot of this stuff is all free. You can look up stuff. You can understand and learn the Bible. Did you get anything tonight? You sure? Are you glad about it? Are you excited about God's word? So we're going to read and study our Bible. We need to know the context, the culture, the language, and the literary style. Well, your class is finished, Church on the Rock. You have passed the first class of Reading Your Bible 101. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.